I'm Mike. I'm Austin. We are the Test Drivers. And we put tech through its paces. And Austin, this week, we're taking the show to the moon, baby! But later... We're going to talk about, if you know what I'm talking about, we're going to talk about that later. If you don't, Professor Austin has a story for you all. Um, but I wanted to follow up with you uh, on the S21. Yes. Because when we spoke last time, you didn't have one. At least the S21, I don't think you had, right? Or was it the Ultra you didn't have? I don't remember. As we recorded the last episode, I actually did not have either in my hand yet. However, right. I have now spent time with both the S21 and the Plus. And, surprise, surprise, the Z Flip has been temporarily replaced by the S21. So I am currently rocking the Phantom Violet S21, which is definitely the best colorway of all of the S21s. Except for Phantom Brown. (laughs) I still don't like that name. Um, (laughs) Look, I've actually been pleasantly surprised by this phone. Okay. So uh, longtime test drivers, listeners will remember when I flirted with the Pixel 5 last year. And honestly, there was a lot about the Pixel 5 that did draw me in in a way that I didn't expect, right? Mm-hmm. The S21, I had a little bit of a better idea of like, okay, you know what? This actually kind of has a lot of those same sort of things. Like I can see myself enjoying it. Um, spoiler alert, there actually are a couple of issues that sort of were surprising to me, but there's a lot that is really good with this phone. So, when you put it side by side with Z Flip, first of all, the screen is obviously much better, right? Not only is it like the Gorilla Glass Victus, which I don't have to worry about scratching with my fingernail, but the 120 Hz is just really nice, right? I mean, I know we've talked about this a million times. High refresh rate is not some kind of like you have to have it kind of feature, but it's also really nice, right? Mm. Especially with the new Snapdragon 888. I mean, it's just, it's fast, it's fluid. And yeah, this might be the, the cheaper $800 phone, but like, you would never notice. It really is as fast as any Android phone I've ever used and still slightly faster than the iPhone 12 mini. <clears throat> is the A8 faster than the whatever it is, A12? Wait, A15? What? What? A, oh my God. Are we A14? 14. No, it is not. It's a, it's a little bump over the previous generation of Snapdragon, the 865 Plus. It's not a huge jump, though. Right. Um, I can. I think it's between that and the 120 hertz. Uh, and obviously, Samsung have done a fairly good job of sort of tuning it. It feels good, right? I mean, you're kind of splitting hairs a little bit, but I can notice, especially as I've spent a lot of time with stuff like the M1 MacBook and the uh, the iPhone uh, 12 Mini that have this A14 and the the Firestorm cores. You can tell, at least I can tell, a little bit of a difference with just how speedy and fast these things are with like loading web pages and whatnot. So it's an improvement. It's certainly as good as it gets on the Android side. But I can tell a little bit of a difference, but certainly not enough to make me go, oh, this is garbage and terrible, and I can only watch 8K video on this. Yeah, they're close, right? They're they're close enough, I guess, in performance. But as you say, like the performance story in all phones, especially Android to iPhone, is different for many different reasons, right? Where Mm -hmm. Apple has the ability to tune the software and the hardware perfectly together, but then on Android phones, you get things like 120 hertz refresh rates. So yeah. they, have, they have different like pluses and minuses. You know, I still, I mean, I'm I'm still really hoping 2021 is the year of the high refresh rate iPhone. And yeah. I'm really keen to see what that does to the overall expectation of the experience from the iPhone from like a responsiveness perspective. Like mm-hmm. because I think it's gonna be super interesting to see. I'm I'm I remain very keen. 
Yeah, and I mean, you look at the iPad Pro, right? Which is at this point, yeah. what two generations behind on the yeah. the SoC, and it still feels very snappy. So you imagine mm-hmm. an A14 or an A15 or something in a new iPhone. I mean, that thing's gonna scream. Mm-hmm. I will say though, there are some other good points on the S21. The cameras are a proper jump over the Z Flip, and really actually do rival the iPhone 12 in a lot of ways. So there was a lot of talk about how the S21 has very similar cameras to you know last year and that is true like the hardware is quite similar but they've improved the processing and the software and honestly last year's cameras were also just really good to the point where the z flip just feels like it's behind right i mean i would still use the z flip you know for you know being able to to hold the the phone up and use it for a selfie using the little outer screen Mm. you know having it in flip mode where i can like set it down and walk away and take a photo like those kind of things are helpful Beyond that, the S21 is just so much better, right? The main camera is not only a larger sensor, but it really does come fairly close to the iPhone 12. Ultrawide is great. And having a telephoto, especially a 3X telephoto, is so much better than the lack of telephoto on the Z Flip or on the 12 mini. Well, and also, I mean, you mentioned selfies. Like, the selfie cameras on these are incredible, right? It's good. I know that the Ultra has a 40 megapixel. Oh, yes, the Ultra. Yeah, yeah it's not the regular This is, one. I believe this is 10 megapixels okay. on this. I mean, the selfie is fine, but none of the selfie cameras can actually match the Z Flip just, you know, flipped around, you know, using its actual main rear camera with the little yeah. screen, which is the way I would pretty much always take selfies. So I always find myself consistently frustrated with the quality of selfie cameras on phones. Like, it, yeah. it surprises, it just surprises me that like, Selfies must be such a common thing, right, on smartphones. I don't understand why they lag so much. I know that, well, I don't know. I'm sure that they have to be a bit more particular about the size of the components going into, you know, where you can put that camera. But it it still just remains a thing that I always find so perplexing. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you really nailed it there. They're always trying to push the size down, right? I mean, the S21, the the notch or the the little like sort of hole punch is tiny, right? It is really, really small, which is great because, I mean, it's gotten to the point where I don't even notice it really. Mm. Um, But on the flip side, the smaller you make that uh, punch, the smaller you make that lens and sensor and everything, you're just going to be fundamentally limited by the quality. I mean, it's a good camera, but just... Unless people are okay with a, you know, big, big sort of like notch or something for it. Or you get some of the more creative ways where like the Asus, they have like the Zen phone where the rear camera flips around. Mm. Or you have something like the Z Flip where you can just easily take a selfie with the rear facing camera. I mean, that's all nice. But I think most people prioritize the look and the, the functionality of the phone over the quality of the selfie camera. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Um, so the S21 is the one that you're using, which is the smallest. Uh, you know, yes. we, we've been talking about this for for pretty much as long as the show's been around, that, that <laughs> you've been looking for smaller phones. But this isn't a small phone, even the smallest one. I would say it's small-ish. So it's, I believe, 6.2 inches on the display. So it is certainly bigger than the Pixel 5, which, again, I keep referencing that because the Pixel 5 was, like, a very good size. Like, personally, for me, that's what a smallish size phone should be. Mind you, the iPhone 12 mini, I still kind of prefer, but between the 12 mini and the and the Pixel, the trade-offs aren't massive. I mean, you get a little bit of a bigger screen, but it's also not unwieldy. The S21 is a touch larger, but it's certainly far better than the vast majority of the other, like the pluses of the Ultras, which feel like you're stuffing an iPad in your pocket. But 6.2, that, that, that's like iPhone 12 size, right? 
It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say it's roughly similar. I believe it's a little taller and a little narrower. Yeah, the iPhone's 6.1 and the mini is 5.4. So like, I know, I wouldn't say it's smallish. It just feels like regular, right? But I mean, I know the dimensions, like the physical dimensions probably help because it is a narrower phone. But, you know, when you say about comparing it to the mini, I mean, that's it's still very different, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah, Samsung phones generally are taller and narrower than iPhones, especially because of their screen aspect ratio. But yeah, size is fine. Software I'll actually give a shout out to. Um, I will say I still don't have Android 11 on Z Flip, which I've been really missing because um, you know that rolled out on every other S20 already like months ago. Um, so having it on the S21, having Android 11, having the latest version of One UI is nice. Like some of the, like the notifications and they've kind of given a little bit of a visual overhaul. That's been something I've appreciated on the S21 that will show up on the Z Flip at some point, hopefully, maybe. Because that's we'll One see. UI 3, right? 3 or 3.1. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the most recent. It's mostly it's Android 11. But yeah, they've right. definitely redone some of the UI elements. But here's the problem. It doesn't fold in half. So <laughs> it's clearly not a Z Flip Gang approved device. So but tell me though, right? Because, you know, I was, yeah. I was talking to uh, another car host of mine recently, another show that I do. I think it was uh, Connected. And Federico and Steven yeah. were a bit like, why? Because I was trying to sell them on the form factors, right? The potential fold in form factors. We were talking about this and yeah. the idea that there's a rumor that like Apple was looking into it, right? And I was going through the different form factors. And I think really you've got one of two these days. You've got a phone that folds in half into a clamshell or you have some kind of like phone that becomes a bigger phone and has a screen on the outside. They're like two mm -hmm. current approved methods of doing this thing effectively. And they kind of couldn't get their head around the the like utility of a, a clamshell phone and i know mm. it's not news to listeners of this show but what is it that specifically that that you're missing when you're not using a folding like a, a, a z flip type phone so the size is obviously part of it right like i just like a smaller phone it's easy to like toss in my back pocket or something right. whereas i the s21 is just too big and sort of bulky for something like that the physical footprint is yeah. much is much different okay but also there's functionality there right mm -hmm. so one of the things i love doing is using it in the sort of like the half uh flip mode like the tabletop mode or whatever they call it where like the screen is like half folded which means it stands up by itself right i will watch youtube videos like that all the time at work mm -hmm. or in bed or something uh sometimes i'm like on like a video call or something and i don't want to have to hold the phone so i set yeah, it down nice. but i can still look at the screen nice. there's a lot of that stuff that's really nice and i feel like i'm stuck in 2019 with a big slab phone in my pocket right which is fine i mean look we're of course as z flip gang members we know that this phone is very expensive no one who makes fiscally responsible decisions like we'll talk about in the second part of the episode should really buy a Z Flip at the moment with how expensive it is considering that the S21 by pretty much all objective measurements is faster, better screen, better cameras, all these things it kind of has going for it and it's like half the price. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't fold which makes me kind of sad. Although that Phantom Violet is seriously nice. Yeah, it's like, beautiful. Uh, it is really good. What did the, I mean look, not hopping on it, but how did the build feel, right? It's not glass, it's different, it's like plastic. Yeah. How, how was that? How's the experience of that? What are the pros and cons for you coming back to that type of material again in a flagship? I do not mind it one bit. This cool. is not, so I think 
a lot of people think like plastic, like Galaxy S4, glossy, like kind of like cheap feeling plastic. This is not that at all. The only way it has like a similar kind of like soft touch texture where it's like it's matte. The only real reason why I can tell that this is plastic and not glass is because it's not cold to the touch, which I think is a very big compliment that this plastic has kind of come so far. And you have the side benefit of never really worrying about cracking the back glass. I mean, I'm sure yeah. it's possible, but it's certainly going to be a lot more durable than something like a glass back. So no, I would never complain about it, right? I mean, sure, the the Plus and the Ultra have the same Gorilla Glass Victus. And I mean, look, the Gorilla Glass feels great, right? But I actually don't mind having that little bit of a difference in texture. And because they do that same kind of matte finish on both, it looks fine. And actually, it, well, it feels fine, but it actually looks fine too, right? The way that they've done the, the material and specifically the way that, that sort of phantom violet color matches with the gold, which, or I guess the bronze or whatever you want to call it, but like the actual metal like ring around it and the camera bump, mm-hmm. really, really clean. Mm-hmm. Zero complaints. But you know, you know where this is going, right? Yeah, I know where it's going. Yeah, let's go. Although, while yes, <laughs> as soon as we finish recording this episode, the Z Flip might sneak its way back into my pocket. Yeah. However, Mike, I have a little bit of a, a little bit of a secret for you. There's one more phone. I gotta stop one more time on the Z Flip train with another device before I land back with the Z Flip. And we might talk about that next episode. See oh. some, some foreshadowing right there. I got oh, I got really? one more. One more coming up that we got. I gotta, don't even know uh, what that could be, but I guess that's the point, <laughs> right? It's like, yes. of course, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have it. <laughs> it's uh, it's gonna be both a obvious choice to talk about on the test drivers and something that almost no one is going to guess, but you can give it a try if you want. Oh man, I can't wait. This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by Mint Mobile. After the year we've all been through, saving money, it's on a lot of our minds right now. If that's you, if you're still paying wild amounts of money every year for wireless, what are you doing? Switching to Mint Mobile is the easiest way to save this year. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you maximize your savings with plans starting at just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional costs of retail, Mint Mobile is able to pass these significant savings on to you. This is premium wireless service for $15 a month. All this comes with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same number along with all your existing contacts. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with the seven-day money-back guarantee. Austin, can you tell our listeners just how easy it is to get signed up to Mint Mobile? I mean, it is incredibly fast. They will ship a SIM card directly to your door. It takes just a couple minutes to swap it up and you are good to go. And the nice thing about Mint Mobile is you're getting that same high quality of service and the speed that you expect without the giant price tag that you usually associate with that. So you can get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and the plan shipped to your door for free. Just go to mintmobile.com slash test drivers. That is mintmobile.com slash test drivers. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash test drivers. Our thanks to Mint Mobile for their support of this show and Relay FM. So you were talking a minute ago about the high price of the Z Flip mm. and why it's not a... Uh, Fiscal, wise fiscal decision. <laughs> uh, but then, but you know, then Samsung have gonna made it a little bit easier on you, right? Yeah. So just a few days ago, 
they cut the price of the Z Flip 5G, so specifically the 5G, not the 4G version, which is slightly strange, from $1,450 down to two to $1,200, not $200. That would be a really good That'd be incredible. Fire sale. <laughs> oh, oh. Okay, well let's not let's not throw words like fire sale and Z flip around in the same sentence. Mike, okay, let's not <laughs> let's not get crazy here. Okay, fire sale bad. Good sales numbers and continuing to develop good. Um, good. It's weird. So like obviously the Z flip has been around in one iteration or another for essentially a year now. And while the five G has only been out for like what six seven months or so, it does kind of make sense that they trim the price a little bit, clear that inventory out because. I'm pretty confident, as we've discussed in the past, that there's another Z Flip coming soon. In fact, maybe even multiple models. But one of the interesting things is, is that the mobile president of Samsung, TM Rowe, he actually mentioned how 2021 will make, quote, folding phones more accessible, which, uh, come back around to previous episodes, I think bodes really well for the Z Flip gang. I really think that there's going to be, I mean, obviously now there's a $1,200 Z Flip, which is not a crazy value proposition it's still certainly a lot more expensive and not as good in some ways as like the s21 but like that's still a very nice step and if they can get another z flip 2 in that rough price range yeah, i think they'll do all right i mean i don't the word accessible here I, <laughs> you know more accessible not accessible yeah i mean more. you know you can reduce it by five bucks and it's a little bit more accessible <laughs> uh i think they shouldn't say like 2021. It's just like going into the future, the goal mm-hmm. is to make them more accessible. I think that's fair, right? That maybe in like three or four years' time, these things cost eight, nine hundred dollars or whatever the current like flagship price is. You know, you keep mm-hmm. chipping away at it as they get better at the technology. The R and D costs are starting to be recouped, all of that kind of stuff. And you can start bringing the cost down. Um, Twelve hundred is is much better than fourteen fifty, like for yeah. sure. That is a huge difference. I was, you know, yeah, they've got to get it down. They've got to get start like really pushing it, getting these down to the 1000 mark. But I think we're probably still a couple of years away from that. We'll see. I would not be shocked. I would not be shocked if we see a thousand dollar, maybe $1,100 Z flip. I mean, it's possible, right? I mean, they just take the Z flip 5G, update the, the chassis a little bit, throw like a new processor inside, call it a day. I mean, they, they could, if they want. Maybe. Z Flip Lite? I feel like the key, though, for them right now is to continue iterating on design. Like mm-hmm. That's what's going to make people understand why this is cool, right? It's like you look at Z Flip, or Z Fold, sorry, you go from the Fold to the Z Fold to the difference in design was huge. Staggering. Yeah. And yeah. made the product so much more um, desirable. And I think, like at the very least, they have to update the visuals for the new kind of Samsung aesthetic for yeah. the Z Flip. But I think you know stuff like what we were talking about a few weeks ago, a larger outside screen, like all of that stuff is is I think really important. And they they do need to get there as well as trying to get the price down. So they've, they've definitely got a job on their hands. Yeah, and one of the funny things is if you actually go to the Samsung site right now, they still sell the 4G Z Flip. However, they sell the the 4G Z Flip for thirteen hundred dollars, like a hundred dollars more than the 5G. <laughs> um, what? 
I think it's because they only they don't sell the unlocked anymore. They just sell it uh, through carriers. So I assume the carriers have like their own deal. But like, yeah, right now you can pay more at a carrier for a 4G Z Flip than you can get an unlocked 5G Z Flip for. And like, it's worth just noting, a 5G Z Flip works on 4G networks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, an upgraded processor. You've got 5G capability. Yeah, it's, it's a better version of the phone, no doubt. But it's... Uh, Less expensive now, so... Well, you know, you don't get the sick purple... Co- oh, the purple color's out of stock anyway, so... Oh, it doesn't even matter. That's funny. I want to give you an update <laughs> on my game... On my... P- I don't know, I'll call it a gaming PC, just my PC. I ordered okay. two parts after our last episode. Okay. Uh, my I got a power supply, which has arrived. I got the Silverstone SFX 80 Plus Titanium. Ooh. It's an 800-watt power supply. Very and nice. I went with a CPU cooler, the fan, and completely decided no liquid in the computer, no no liquid. And I've ordered a Noctua NHD15. Classic. These were for these were your recommendations. This is back ordered. They were both back ordered when I ordered them. The power supplies arrived. They keep bumping the date on the Noctua fan on the cooler. Mm. Uh, hopefully by the end of this month I'll get it. But again, it's like I said, I'm. You know, I expect I'll probably build this maybe next month sometime. Okay. So I've still got some some time, but I want to keep uh, chipping away at this. I'm thinking probably every episode now I'll just get <laughs> ask you for what part I need next. Uh, so now I want to I want to start thinking about motherboards because I expect of all the the, the parts I have left, this is probably going to be the one that I might struggle with the most or have less options for because stuff like ram and like ssds and all that kind of stuff there's i have more options and i figure the the products that i have available to me have less of an overall impact Mm -hmm. but the motherboard is pretty important (laughs) yeah you might need one of those yeah gonna need one but it's also like there's sizing uh, constraints and yeah. functionality constraints, which may, might mean that I need to wait for one rather than like if I want RAM, by and large, I have a lot of options available to me. Yeah, yeah. And so actually, it's one of the things specifically because you're using the O11 Mini. Yeah. It is unlike most cases in where it is very configurable, right? Like mm-hmm. most chassis, you can put a couple different sizes of boards in. But with the way that the O11 Mini is, you actually can change the amount of slots. So I think it's three, five, and seven slot configurations. And each one of those gives you more or less clearance to put like radiators or, or various different components everywhere. And because of that, you could easily go with a couple options. So if you were going to go with the, the ITX style, which is typically meant more for like, you know, systems that have a lot of water cooling. There are a couple of boards like the ROG, the Strix uh, X570i, or I personally really like the Gigabyte Aorus uh, Pro X570i. Uh, we've used both of them in builds. I've used specifically that Aorus build in several systems. The nice thing about these boards is that they're very compact. Specifically, I think the AORS is probably the best looking one for like kind of overall aesthetic. The thing is, though, is that these are the ITX boards, right? Which, depending on what all you plan on installing, may not be enough. Do you think you're going to end up installing like a 4K capture card internally or anything else? Or are you thinking you're just going to drop a graphics card in and everything else will be external? Hmm. Well, I can imagine being totally fine with using an external capture card if I ever wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would necessarily want to make a motherboard decision based on that because I don't know how likely it is that I would. I mean, because I already have uh, one of the Elgato external capture card right, things right. anyway. So I would be totally fine 
using that rather than feeling the need to install one. Yeah. I guess the only thing I'll say is that if you aren't planning on obviously water cooling, you're yeah. going to have space in the case. It may make sense to go with a larger board anyway, because okay. otherwise, I mean, there's just going to be empty on the bottom. Unless you could obviously do things like, you know, install extra fans, which really shouldn't impact things. Or if you want to do any like decorations, like we've actually done a couple of systems where we've actually like built little like dioramas in the bottom. I don't <laughs> imagine you're going to go that crazy with it. So it may make sense to go up to a full size ATX board. And that way you have the ability to, you know, take advantage of that expansion. You can throw in a, you know, a, a sound card as if it's 2003 again, or capture card or whatever later. I may as well make this decision with the possibility of giving myself additional flexibility in the future, mm -hmm. especially because as my needs change, I guess one of the things I really don't want to have to change is my motherboard. Yeah. Because that's just going to be a real pain. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And yeah, there's everything's attached there. So then let me find you this. Let me see if I can find you an ATX X570 board that's in stock. There are several, in fact, actually, it's going to be easier to find that than the ITX models. Right. Um, and I think with that, that'll also give you a, a few additional configuration options. Like you can go for four DEMs of memory instead of two, which will oh, be, nice. either have expansion or you can just save some money by getting, you know, eight gigs modules. I was going to say, like, I can get smaller sticks then mm -hmm. and still get the same amount. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. Next step, we'll find you an ATX board which hopefully should be in stock. Generally, motherboards have been a little easier to find than a lot of the other components, which are impossible to find right now. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm just, uh, we have a few retailers here in the UK and I've just found a page of AMD X570 ATX motherboards. Like, and they're like, there's like 50 on here and they're all in stock. So Yeah, yeah. That part, <laughs> we can handle that part. Actually, you're getting close though. You've got most of the components in. Yep. I think building it next month seems very doable. Yep. I'm excited. I'm very excited. All right, so now I now I'm relying on you to find me a, a, some recommendations for an ATX board. Yeah, it's so Done. great to have a tech YouTuber as a friend. It's just like so good. Yeah, it's like please help me. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I really don't. I've tried to like really the best that I can end up doing with this stuff is I just like follow somebody's list of parts it's it's it is complicated. Like I know I could learn it in the same way that I've learned so much about uh, keyboard builds and stuff and like all keyboard components mm -hmm. but I feel like I don't want to put the effort in because I only really want to build one PC right? like <laughs> learning all of the ins and outs of every potential power option is maybe more useful when you're building PCs a lot yes well yeah that's the thing like you've built one PC in the past which yep. was what two three years ago oh man it was way longer than that but yeah many years ago yeah so it's like it's different when stuff is constantly coming out and you watch Linus Tech Tips religiously, it makes your life a lot easier in finding all of these components. But yeah, mm -hmm. you'll be able to join the ranks of PC gamers and uh, hardcore streamers and, and, and Windows people soon enough. I mean, I, you know, I, I use Windows once a week. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I can go on board. <laughs> uh, I wanted to give you some, well, I wanted to talk about um, there's been a, it's that time of year for uh, earnings reports and stuff like that. Typically, not potent, like of of, mo of interest to the show. But the thing that I was keen about was uh, Sony because they gave their first indication of PS5 sales, like actual real numbers, mm -hmm. and they've sold 4.5 million PS5s in 2020. 
So in the mm. final quarter of the year, the holiday quarter, they saw 4.5 million of them, which is actually pretty similar to the PlayStation 4 launch. Yeah. But it's also worth remembering, you know, I've seen a lot of articles of like, oh, it's similar to the PS4 launch. The PS4 launch was considered very good for them, right? So they have had a, a great opening quarter uh, for the PlayStation 5. And I have zero doubt that they sold every single PS5 they could. Yes. And they could have sold twice as many if they would have been able to manufacture that many. I mean, I'm still looking just even like this morning. Resale market for PS5s is still close to double retail. I know for yeah. a while it was like, you know, $1,000, $1,100 was pretty common for a four dollars to $500 PS5. Now it's come down to a little close to like eight to $900. But I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that they will sell every single PS5 they can make probably through the rest of this year before stock becomes even close to being normal. Yeah, because I think one of the big differences for the PlayStation 5 and the PlayStation 4 is this uh, really enhanced hype market that they've they've walked into. I don't remember it being like this. Uh, there's always resellers, but you know the prevalence of bots and all that kind of stuff has definitely yeah. made it uh, harder to get your hands on this stuff. Uh, Microsoft, I didn't know this. I was looking into it. I was like, oh, okay, so what have Microsoft done? And they actually, in November, uh, Phil Spencer went on an interview tour and Microsoft announced that they will not be disclosing unit sales anymore. Mm-hmm. And yep. that they say they care now more about, quote, monthly active users, <laughs> which, so two things to this. One, considering Microsoft's approach to subscriptions, not just... um I mean, that gold and uh, all access and the whatever one it is where you get the console as well. That's Is that all mm-hmm. access? And then that is all Game access Pass. and then there's Game Pass. Yeah. yeah. So it makes sense that they would think in the monthly active users realm of like, well, the more, more monthly active users you have, the more subscription revenue you're bringing in. So if subscription revenue is your bread and butter, which I think they're trying to make it, you want to do what you can to increase your monthly active user count because that is inherent to customer satisfaction. People like paying, like what they're getting, they're going to keep paying, right? Makes mm-hmm. perfect sense. This is also what you do if you are not going to win. <laughs> well, so this is uh, something they actually did in the Xbox One generation as well because I know that the first, I don't know, year, two years or so of Xbox One sales, they announced and then they just stopped because mm-hmm. the PS4 was outselling them. Um, every once in a while, you get a little glimpse. Like I know, like EA at one point uh, kind of had mentioned that they had roughly doubled the install base of PS4 to Xbox One, which probably, if you extrapolate out, is accurate throughout the generation. And while I don't necessarily think that the PS5 is outselling the Xbox two to one, because I think Microsoft is in the exact same position of selling every single Xbox they can, yeah. both Series S and Series X. Although it does seem like the Series S supply. It's not readily available, but it's actually getting a little closer. Like sometimes actually it's in right. stock for more than 30 seconds at a time. But same thing, I think I think Microsoft are going to be at least through the next three, four, five months or so selling all the consoles they can. I think the only real way for us to know how this generation is going to go sort of more long term is just when they can build enough of these things and they're actually sitting on store shelves. Because obviously there seems to be more hype around PS5. Everyone wants PS5. It's such a meme right now. But without Microsoft telling us how many Xboxes they're selling, besides like record quarter, the most we've ever sold, et cetera, et cetera, I don't think we're going to get a really clear one-to-one comparison on how this no. generation is going, at least until we start getting some of these like, yeah, like Activision accidentally mentions how many Xbox games they sold versus PlayStation games or something like that that we have to kind of work our way back from. 
But the main the main reason I wanted to bring all of this up is Nintendo. <laughs> In the same quarter, they sold eleven point five million switches. <laughs> that's a lot. That's of, a lot. Uh, especially for a console that's what three twenty seventeen old. Wow. Yeah. They sold close to well, it's over doubled nearly three times the amount of PlayStations. So you can imagine they sold three to four times the amount of Xboxes. Mm-hmm. This was Nintendo's biggest quarter ever for the Switch. Wow. That is insane. And this quarter saw no new Switch Lite, right? That was a while ago. Nope. No price cut, nothing. Just people buying the console, which has been out for years now. There were no games. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, like, I can't even think, like, what was the last big Switch launch, right? Well, I, it was Animal Crossing. It was a year ago. Well, a year ago, yeah. Yeah. This is just people that wanted them. And, yep. like, for the holidays, that's all it was. And uh, they saw, like, it was wild. Like, um, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe crossed 30 million downloads, as did oh. Animal Crossing as well. So, like, Animal Crossing wow. is still the, one of the key drivers here of Switch sales at the moment, like, mm-hmm. even after a year. Um, so now the Switch has passed the 3DS in terms of lifetime sales. And that's so fast, because 3DS, I mean, obviously, I guess, technically still is being sold, but 3DS had, what, eight, nine years to hit that kind of number, and the Switch yep. needed three? Well, they still <laughs> sold 730,000 Switches. In this last quarter. Three, 3DSs? Uh, sorry, yeah, 3DSs, sorry. In this last quarter, 730,000 of them. Which is, st- I mean, the, the reports that I read, it's like, ah, oh, it's, it's definitely dying now. That's way more than I would have expected. What is it? What is there even on the 3DS now? I actually think that that was games, not consoles. Wait, let me do Oh, yeah, that. no, you're right. That was games. Yeah, that was games. But yeah, yeah, still, yeah. But still. <laughs> 730,000 3DS games still being sold. Who's buying them? Wild to me. Uh, there are still in some stores, they used to have like the like the, the $20 like sort of greatest hits collections that I mm-hmm. see, but I haven't seen a 3DS or a 2DS on a shelf in a long time. No. I I don't even know. I Technically, I think they're still under production somewhat, but yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where like, there are no new 3DS games, which makes sense. I mean, it's an old console. They said the same thing when they brought out the DS. Like, oh, we're going to keep making the Game Boy. You've got the Game Boy Micro. You know, they, they, they make it seem like the console's not dead until a year or two later when it's dead, right? Which yeah, Nintendo haven't killed it, but they're also not making a lot of games for it. It's like a, you know, maybe like one or two a year. It's not dead. We're just not making it anymore. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but like, it's just wild to me. Like Nintendo, it's not even just the number. It's the fact that they just hit had their biggest quarter, and it came out it came out nowhere for them. Like they've now adjusted their sales estimates for the year and stuff. Like really, like it's it's unbelievable. You know, this is at a time when we're all kind of expecting the next switch. Hmm. Are they gonna do it? I mean, they don't need to. <laughs> they, exactly. So, like, <laughs> would you like like so if you're in charge at Nintendo and you have Switch Two? on the horizon would you pull that trigger yet no way throw another year give it another year i mean obviously there's something to be said about like you know riding the wave and not kind of like ruining your momentum but also i mean there's been talk of a switch pro that may or may not even have a portable component and will we see it this year i mean we very well could but if i'm nintendo and i'm looking at these sales going like well 
do we really need to? And the answer is absolutely not. They don't need to at all. It's only a thing of like, do they think that this will help them sell even more switches this year? It's nuts, man. It's nuts. This episode is brought to you by SyncUp, a OneDrive podcast. I love finding new podcasts. I know that you do too. If you're looking for something new to listen to, SyncUp takes you behind the scenes of OneDrive. So you'll be able to learn how to connect your files, share your documents and work from anywhere, whilst also hearing about the design and development side of things too. Every single episode of SyncUp includes a dedicated topic with guest interviews, news and announcements, and something special outside of the technology norm to mix things up. Some of the recent topics discussed on the show include data security, remote work, and mobile productivity. I checked out an episode recently that focused on how collaboration is becoming all the more important in today's modern working world. Like From a technology perspective, this does also mean that the tools that we use need to work better together too. It's not just collaboration between people, it's also within the tools that we use. And this episode is full of insights into how we can use this focus to help the work of administrators and managers in organizations better connect data and applications together. So go and listen to it now. Just search for SyncUp wherever you get your podcast. That's S-Y-N-C-U-P or just click the link in the show notes. That's S-Y-N-C-U-P, SyncUp. Go and check it out right now. Our thanks to SyncUp from Microsoft for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, it's time to go to the moon. So <laughs> this episode mm. was recorded on February 4th, 2021. I feel like this is just like <laughs> super important to note the point in time because yes. this is a story that's changing constantly. And like every day. This was something that you were like, I really want to talk about it on the show. So we're talking about GameStop and tr- day trading and shorting and I guess crypto a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. What is going on? Everything is the short answer. So I spent a good chunk of yesterday trying to like kind of condense my thoughts on this and try to come up with a simple explanation. And I don't think there is one. There's a Mm -hmm. lot going on, right? I mean, even last night, one of the the cryptos that has been kind of very meme and kind of jumping up and down has been Dogecoin. Are you familiar with Dogecoin? Well, I know the meme Doge, right? The dog. Mm -hmm. And I was familiar when Dogecoin came about during one of the like original crypto explosions yep. uh so i was fam- i'm familiar enough with it it's it's just a an incredible thing to say but a meme of cryptocurrency oh, but it's also an actual cryptocurrency it's like in a lot of ways and obviously there's a lot more to talk about in the episode but like dogecoin in a lot of ways is almost like kind of like the the training wheels for crypto it's it's very very inexpensive but it works the same way as all the bigger ones it's just like you know it's two cents per Dogecoin or whatever, whereas Bitcoin is 35,000 or whatever the case is, right? So typically it's been used as more of a joke, as more of kind of like a a way to learn. But the thing is, everyone has been so attached to this saga that Dogecoin has been jumping up. And just last night, they finally got Elon Musk to tweet about it and to the moon. Oh Uh, my God. But okay, that's just what happened last night. Every day it's been crazy. Also, just before we continue, the test drivers is responsible for nothing here. You cannot... (laughs) take any advice from us if you think anything is advice that's on your own it's got literally nothing to do with us there you go i just wanted to just get that out there before we continue when you put your life savings in dogecoin and you lose it uh don't come complain to us please yep we never told (laughs) you to do anything (laughs) all right all right all right so here's the the kind of the breakdown of what's going on so this all mostly began and it's it's complicated but this mostly began with gamestop 
Now, Mike, I'm assuming you're familiar with the retail game store company, GameStop, correct? Yeah, I think we had GameStops here for a while, but if not, oh, like, really? we have stores very much like this one, right? It's a yes. video game store, and then they ended up pivoting into bring your old stuff in and we'll buy it from you kind of thing. Yes, and GameStop was a very good business for, like, things like the Xbox 360, PS3 time, where, you know, was, you go and you buy you Call of Duty. You could only buy your games in stores. Like, that was where yep. you did it. There either wasn't an internet download system, or it was so slow, you just wouldn't do that. You needed to go and buy your video games. There wasn't really Amazon, right? So you'd mm-hmm. go to GameStop, or you'd go to, like, we had a company here called Game. Like, there, yep. there are lots of them. You would just, that's where you would go and buy your video games that's old guys over here <laughs> and they really cornered the market on the used game side which is really where they made their money you go buy 60 bucks uh for you know call of duty or whatever you play it you're done with it you flip it they give you like 15 cents and then they turn around and sell it to the next sucker <laughs> for 45 dollars or whatever right what a but, racket I mean- what a racket <laughs> that is true but gamestop uh has seen Maybe not the most strong of fortunes over the last five years or so as more and more games are being downloaded. Fewer and fewer people are buying and selling physical games. They've pivoted into a lot of other things. Like, I think they actually, they invested, they bought like some like MVNO. Like, they, they were involved in like carriers. They would buy and sell like phones and iPads and all kinds of stuff. They've tried to diversify, but generally speaking, this is a ton of sort of physical, like mall and like, you know, shopping center retail locations that buy and sell physical games, right? So uh, logic would probably dictate that that's not the strongest market to be in in the world. Yeah, I was, I read something which, you know, is particularly uh, prevalent to you or relatable to you is they've actually been doing really well in Pokemon card sales recently as well. Yes. So they they have and they they also have like other like geek stuff. So you know they show like shirts and mm-hmm. all the various kind of like accessories and like collectibles. Yeah, like there's certainly you can walk into a GameStop. There's like a good supply of like nerd culture stuff, not just video games. Yeah. And online they have like old consoles. Like GameStop is not a terrible place, and I personally have always enjoyed going to GameStop. We've done some videos at GameStop, but. Uh, let's just say that Wall Street didn't quite share that same opinion. So essentially, GameStop, as of the end of last year and even the beginning of this year, was one of the most heavily shorted stocks around. Now, there's no way to get into this without getting kind of nerdy. So a short is pretty simple, realistically. If I buy a stock, I am buying that stock hoping that it's going to go up, right? Obviously, if it goes up, I can sell it for more. If it goes down, I sell it for less. But that's the way that buying a stock works. A short is basically the opposite of that. And that I am betting that a stock will go down and you're essentially like borrowing it and then you have to pay interest. Like it's kind of complicated, but it's essentially the same kind of math of if I am some big Wall Street hedge fund, I look at GameStop and go, oh, this is a terrible business to be in. It's obviously going to go down. I think this stock price is too high. So I'm going to bet that that price goes down And if it goes down, I'm going to make a ton of money. All right. I need to stop you right here. Go for it. Okay. So like many people in the world over the last few weeks, I have tried to get my head around just the fundamentals of short in stocks, right? Mm -hmm. Which is what we're talking about here. Shorts. And every time I feel it's like trying to hold sand. (laughs) Every time I feel like I understand it, it slips through my fingers again. So. Mm -hmm. What happened here and what does happen here is typical Wall Street investors, hedge fund managers, 
they take a look at the markets and they do one of two things. They either see a stock that they think is going to rise and they buy that stock so they own it. And then when it goes up, they can sell it and they make their profit. Or they also, and that's called long, right? It's when you're making a long bet on a stock because you're waiting or you are short in a stock. And that's what has happened. That was what was happening to GameStop. They thought that it was going to crash. So let's, this is where it's, it's confusing. No, you to got me. it. You got it. No, that's exactly it. They think that it's going to go down. So they yep. buy now. Well, that, see, this is it. They're not buying no, 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 the so... stock, right? This is, this okay. is what <sighs> is so confusing to me. They, they borrow the stock. So it How? is complicated. How? How do they borrow it? Basically, they borrow the stock. They will. So if you if you buy the stock, they borrow the stock with the promise that if it goes up, they have to repurchase it, and they also have to have not only some money down, but also they pay interest. That's the kind of the longer version, right? So people that already own GameStop stock mm-hmm. were were entering into these agreements with. We'll just say hedge funds because it's easier, and that's how everybody's talking about it. And they say, all right, we, th- you know, like you can, you can, sh- you can take this bet from us, but you're going to pay mm-hmm. us money while you're doing it. And you have to pay us if it goes up. Yeah. Well, they have to. So the way it would work is, so say I'm a hedge fund and I'm shorting it and I think it's going to go down, right? If it goes up, every time it goes up, I'm on the hook for that stock, right? So if I, you know, short it and I think it's going to go down, all of a sudden it goes up by 50%. I got to then have to go into the market and buy that stock to give it back to the person I borrowed it from. So not only do you have like the, the fees and the interest and everything, but when it goes up, it gets very, very expensive, right? But who owns the stock? Let's, let's use me and you here, right? Yeah. I am a uh, prudent investor and I own stock in GameStop. You are yes. a nasty hedge fund manager. <laughs> And yeah, you want to short me. So what uh-huh. are you doing from me then? Do you buy it from me? Or are you just saying, hey, let me borrow this? I Essentially, the way I understand it is you, I am borrowing it from you. I will pay you a little bit of money and I will give you interest. And if I'm able to then, the price goes down, I can then cash out and I will have made money on the difference between where I borrowed it and when I sold it. Right? So basically... The simple way to think about it is a short is just the opposite of buying a stock and that if the stock price goes down, I can then make money on the difference between that transaction, right? How? (laughs) How do you make the money, though, on the difference? Uh, Because I have sold the stock. Uh, Okay, you got me there. I actually don't fully understand that part. (laughs) Wait, so let's say you've taken it from me. Yes. And you've sold it out to the market, so you made $100, right? But you've got yes. to give it back to me eventually. So then you would need to buy it from someone else, right, for $50, and then... Yes, I, yes, yes, yes. Okay, that is the way I believe it works, I think. This is confu- See, this is the problem. All right, so, tell a little story to you. I used to work in uh, banking, but like retail banking. So like you would come in and open a bank account for me, right? Mm-hmm. There are a couple of things that happen to you when you're working in this type of world. Like everybody goes through realizations and there are like two main realizations that people go through. The first is when you realize that the thing that you've always assumed in your life about money isn't what you think it is. And the way, the first way that this comes into to your life is when, you know, when you go to the bank and you give them a thousand dollars and they take your money and then they put it in the safe, right? Mm-hmm. That money doesn't stay there. 
Right. And I know this to, to a lot of people might seem like, well, obviously, but it's, I don't think to as many people it's as simple as that, right? Yeah. If you give me at the bank $10,000 and then come back tomorrow and you want your $10,000, I might not have it anymore because right. I may have given money out to somebody else or I have had the money collected and taken to like a money processing place or the larger vaults or it's going back into circulation, right? So just because you've given me money doesn't mean you can come back and take it whenever you want. You may have to arrange that with the bank to make sure they have the cash there because, and this is how like economies fail and people do what's called running on banks where if yep. things are looking bad, they go and try and take out as much money as they can. Like just because you've deposited that cash doesn't mean you can always get it. This is problem number one. Problem number two is when you come to realize that, I'm getting high concept here, the value of money is not actually like a real thing based on much of anything. Yep. And like, if I wanted to give Austin 20 bucks, I can just go to my phone and just send in 20 bucks. Nothing actually exchanged. It's just the number went down in my account and up in his account. And we all have to just agree that this is how it works. And you can really go back and say, like, we have, like, this gold bullion and that is the value of money. But I'll tell you right now, it does not work that simply anymore. And so, like, that, I'm saying all of this as a way to, you can very easily trip yourself up when you're trying to explain this stuff, which I think so mm -hmm. far, we've done a pretty decent job of tripping ourselves up because you get <laughs> to a certain point in the stack and it yep. stops making logical sense unless you really understand what is going on. And the people that really understand what is going on are the people that make careers out of this stuff. So yes. suffice it to say, basically, the hedge fund managers are taking a bet on GameStop failing. So yes. they only make money if GameStop stock goes down. If GameStop stock doesn't go down, they are on the hook until it does. And that means if that person then wants to cash out, that person, the hedge fund manager who borrowed that stock, has to pay the money, right? Yeah. Essentially. Again, yes. still complicated, but that is the basics, that we, the best that we can do to get you to the point of understanding what the short position stuff is. Exactly. Shorts are generally a little bit more risky because buying and selling a stock is a little bit more straightforward, but because you're shorting it, there is like the interest and there's stuff. So generally speaking, you can't just short and just be like, oh, I'm just going to wait a couple years for the stock to come back down because you're paying on that all the time, right? And if it doesn't go yep. down, you're going to be losing crazy money, right? So what happened was, you know, Wall Street's looking at this and is like, you know what, this company, not in great shape, seems like a failing business. We're going to short it. Right. Which is, is something that has happened forever. Right. I mean, there are lots and lots of stocks that have been shorted. Tesla, I think, is a very good example of something that has been shorted forever. People always think Tesla's going down, Tesla's going down and it just keeps going up and up and up. Right. So the thing with GameStop is that it seems like Wall Street may have gotten a little bit too eager to bet on it failing because. Well, yeah, the business might not seem fundamentally strong and everything, but if you take a look, I mean, it's not like it's a terrible company. I mean, they've got cash in the bank. They've got a reasonable plan. They've got, you know, uh, some locations that are closing, but like they're kind of like trying to trim it down to the more kind of profitable stuff. Like it might not be a gangbusters business, but it also doesn't seem like a business that's about to go out of business or, you know, collapse or anything like that, right? Mm -hmm. And they've actually had some good news recently. So the founder of Chewy.com, which might sound like a joke, but it's 
he sold it for like billions of dollars or whatever. He invested not only a good chunk of cash into GameStop, he owns something like, I don't know, 10% or whatever. He owns like a decent chunk of GameStop. But then recently he's also come on and kind of helped to reshape the board. These are all things that are typically considered good signs, right? You've got some extra money in the company. You've got some new investors. You've got some new sort of people on the board to kind of help guide the company. This is all sort of good signs, right? Then things got a little crazy, right? So for context, the stock uh, as of, you know, even like middle of last year, four, five, six bucks, which is fine, right? I mean, it's not obviously anywhere near as much as it used to be, but like, that's fine. It started to come up and it started to come up and it sort of came up to a point where it's like 12, 13, 14, even 15 bucks, which is, that's a big return, right? But Wall Street bets is a very popular subreddit, right? And they got a hold of this. And that's when, I don't want to say sense was thrown out the window, but people got a little excited, Mike. They got, they got a lot excited. Mm-hmm. All right, so before we continue with Wall Street Bets, I just want to read this two-paragraph thing I found on a website called Investopedia about stock shorting. So, one way to make money on stocks for which the price is falling is called short selling or going short. Short selling is a fairly simple concept. That's a lie. Uh, an investor <laughs> borrows the stock, sells the stock, and then buys the stock back to return it to the lender. Short sellers are betting that the stock they sell will drop in price. If the stock does drop after selling, the short seller buys it back at a lower price and returns it to the lender. The difference between the sell price and the buy price is the profit. So when we were talking about how the profit's made, so you're so you as Austin is saying to Mike, hey, let me let me take that. I'm going to borrow that from you. And you've then sold it into the market at $100. And I'm just like sitting here, I'm waiting, like I know that my stock's going down, but I'm playing a long game. Right. So fine. I'll wait for it to go back up again. And then when your time expires, where you got to get it back for me, you then buy it back from the market and you buy it at $50 and give it back to me. So I'm just sitting here. I'm taking my interest or whatever on my fee and I'm watching my shares go down. But you have now made $50 because you bought, you borrowed it from me at a hundred, sold it into the market and then bought it back when it was going down. It was at 50. So you now say, hey, here's your stock back, and you've come out of it $50 richer, except for the fees you paid to me. Exactly. Cool. So this is where Wall Street Bets, which is a, a place that has been around for a while, right? I mean, it has a lot of people who are very serious investors, but it's, I would describe a very meme kind of place. I think like the, the description on the subreddit is like, if 4chan found a Bloomberg terminal or something like it's a uh, there's a lot of clowning going on right on Wall Street bets and it's also nasty stuff too right like I, I just want to make that sure. clear that like some of the language and, and stuff like that on Wall Street bets it's not it's not good yes yes but it's full of a lot of people who have real money to invest yeah and well I think there's like a little bit of a thing of like oh you know it's a bunch of you know the every man versus the big guys there's also a lot of people who like post screenshots of like you know, investing hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? So clearly yeah. a lot of people who, you know, have some cash. There are people there that like, they really know what they're doing as well. Like Absolutely. it's not just like a bunch of people that stumbled together and fell out of a clown car. Like <laughs> this could only have ever started because there are people there that are smart investors. They're savvy investors. Yes. Because you have to have an understanding of this, of this thing, which we're all struggling to get our heads around to the point where you make the bet that that this was ever going to happen, right? Yes. And I think 
from Wall Street Bet's perspective, right? There's a, a real narrative here, right? Where, you know, this is the opportunity for you to make some cash and you're like the little guy, you know, trying to help GameStop and, you know, you're going to make money and you're going to make the evil hedge funds, you know, they're, they're betting on GameStop collapsing. So not only do you get to kind of step in and feel like you're saving the company, but you're also sort of taking money directly from the rich, right? I mean, you can see that there's a real sort of narrative there, even though it's obviously not quite that sort of straightforward no. in real life. So have you ever seen the movie Wolf of Wall Street? Love that movie. Such a good movie. Yeah. yeah. This is kind of a little bit like that, except replace Leonardo DiCaprio with like tens of thousands of Redditors. They're already making movies about this whole thing. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah. Netflix yeah, yeah, yeah. have bought an option for it. I think there's a, yeah, there's a couple of movies. There's someone who's already sold the book. I mean, it's like, this thing is literally happening as we speak right now. It's crazy. I, I look forward to the, the Reddit tastic movie of some guy on his computer for an hour buying stocks or whatever. But so you look at the way that the stock has kind of been rising, right? So, you know, it went from five bucks to like $15, which is good, but it's not like totally crazy for the stock market, right? Stuff comes mm -hmm. up, stumps goes down, whatever, right? But then things kind of took off. So Wall Street Bets had already kind of had their eye on the stock last year. There were some people who, you know, putting big money in it and, you know, everyone was, because the way that Reddit is sort of designed, you know, if you, if you post a screenshot of your brokerage account where you drop 200 grand in GameStop, everyone's like, you're a crazy person, upvote, right? It's just going to be sort of naturally surfaced. A lot more eyeballs are going to see it. More people are going to start thinking, et cetera, et cetera. But then there was some activity around not only all the chewy news where, you know, there was all this good news for GameStop, but then there were some hedge fund guys who were like, hey, yeah, no, this is still going down. And Reddit didn't like that. So people started buying, right? And this is not something that would necessarily work for a company on like Apple scale, right? The stock is expensive and there's just a lot of it out there, right? Yeah. But GameStop was, and I mean, technically still is, a much smaller company. So if you think 10,000 Redditors dumping a few hundred bucks each, that actually can make a real difference to the stock price, right? And that's kind of what started to happen. All, everyone on, on Wall Street Bets started getting excited, started buying it. The stock started to creep up and up and up. But then there's a thing called a short squeeze. Now, this is actually a little bit easier to understand because essentially all those people, all those hedge funds and everything who had shorted GameStop, well, as the price is going up, they have two choices. They put their money where their mouth is and they stick it out or they bail on their positions, which is obviously going to lose the money. But if it's going up 20, 30, 50% a day, you got to imagine that very few people are going to stomach that kind of loss yeah. when you yep. talk that these guys have thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of shares, right? Probably even more than that, actually, considering how cheap it was. So as that happens, the short sellers essentially have to go and buy that stock back, right? Which then equals more price increases because more and more people are buying. And especially when some hedge fund has to, you know, close their position and then they buy 500,000 shares of the stock, that's going to push the price up, right? All of this combined meant that GameStop went crazy. Like, actually crazy. I believe it topped out at like, like $450 or $60 yeah. at one point. Insanely expensive for a stock that, again, less than a year ago, was going for like $4, $5. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, they're also holding on to their stock too, right? And they won't sell it back to the people that are, have got short positions. And then it turns out that the shorters are overextended in the market and they've, they have more short positions than there is even 
GameStop stock yeah. to sell. Oh, man, it, it got crazy. It got crazy, right? I mean, there have been situations where you've seen the stock jump up, but usually that's related to like Nintendo selling the most Switches they've ever sold or whatever. But there mm. was a little bit of something that sparked this. But this really was a war between Wall Street bets and the hedge funds. It's based on nothing really happening. Yes, yes, exactly. It was very little. It was just a little spark, right? But the thing is, once the snowball started, it started, right? So you see the stock jumping up and up and up. Everyone was talking about it. Everyone is, you know, like, hey, you know, I'm just going to go open a Robin Hood and I'll throw 100 bucks at it or, or whatever the case is. Because you look at a, a stock that goes, so actually I can tell you from our experience, right? So personally, I did not buy any GameStop stock. That's not something that I typically do, especially with any kind of company that I would talk about in a video or a podcast or anything of like that, right? But we were talking about it, about doing it. This is episode uh, all about the situation. We were talking about it on, I believe it was a Monday morning and the stock was at like, 80 or $90, which was a huge increase over just a few days beforehand. We start putting the video together. We shoot the next day. And at that point, it was something like $220 or something in like 24 hours, right? That is an insane amount of money because for the stock market, if I put in whatever amount of money that day and I sold it the next day, I just doubled my money or more, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a very simple thing on the standard stock side of things. And tons of people are jumping in and cashing out but there's certainly never going to be a, a clean scenario in which everyone makes their money. And that's where things have kind of landed at the moment. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom. Hey, do you have a website? Does your website have a shopping cart, registration forms, or contact us pages? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you need Pingdom. Because nobody wants their critical website transactions to fail. This means a bad experience for your users and could mean lost business for you. But the good news is you can set up transaction monitoring with Pingdom. Transaction monitoring will alert you when your cart checkout forms or login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. Pingdom will let you know the moment that anything goes wrong in whatever way is best for you. You can customize how you're alerted and who's alerted depending on the outage severity to make sure the right person can be there to fix the issue. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible, and if disaster strikes, you'll be the first to know. It's super easy to get started. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code TESTDRIVERS at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. Can you imagine being an executive at GameStop? <laughs> <laughs> because tons of executives at companies have stock options, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine the kind of money these people made? Well, they only make it if they sell. And, I mean, you uh, will have sold, though, Austin. Well, sometimes a lot of these uh, options that you get as like, you if know, they being got a vest. A, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can only sell them in certain windows. And it's probably not a great look for the CEO of the company to start dumping all his stock frantically. Uh, like, ah, I got to get out. I mean, I believe in this company, but sell, 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 sell. <laughs> man, I, there must have been an element of it at certain levels. And like, I really hope that these people were able to do it because why not? Right. Like, this is never going to happen to them. Like, there are people that now can probably retire because of this. Oh, absolutely. The whole thing itself, though, i got to say, I don't like it. Like, it makes me uncomfortable because, I, you know, I think there's a certain element of worry about the, the fragility of the financial system. Not yep. in that, like, 
I particularly care about hedge funds going bust, but I get a bit nervous when the like absurdity of the systems that our finances are built on are uh, shown to the world. Like yeah. that stuff I was talking about earlier, right? So like I am for people like making a bit of money, poking the dragon a little bit. But the thing that I the other, like one of the other things that I don't like about this is it's a similar thing to Tesla stock and Bitcoin. I worry about people losing their life savings to things like this. Yes. And, and so like yeah. I worry about there seems to be a particular again I don't, I'm not trying to get political political but like kind of like philosophically political of mm-hmm. like this this idea which is sometimes encapsulated as like the American dream and it's it's got other names elsewhere of like get rich quick and it's always a concern to me to see this kind of stuff because that's where people start to get themselves into pretty tricky situations. You know, I can imagine a lot of people that bought into GameStop at a GameStop. I should call it GameStop. That should be the name of the company now. <laughs> like who bought in at like 300, 400, and now it's down at like sub 100. I mean, you just lost <sighs> yeah. two thirds to three quarters of your life savings if you did that. And that's the kind of thing that really worries me, you know, about, about these kinds of things, which is why like, Ultimately, I have like a weird, just like a weird association with the stock market and the the way that it operates. And yeah, because we have we've moved so far away from what this was intended to be. Oh, it's I mean, it's it's speculation. It's betting. Yeah. It's not really tied to anything beyond sort of the push and pull of the market. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there are pros and cons with this. I, I think this is certainly a moment in history, whether it's a little blip or something that we see happening more and more often. Because, yeah, yeah. you're right. There's certainly someone who dumped in a ton of money at $400, and it is very, very unlikely that it will ever go back to that. Certainly possible, but the trend very much is it kind of boomed up, and then it's yep. been on the, the down slope. all in on people getting Robinhood accounts, if that's the service <laughs> they want to use. That's like a whole other <laughs> can of worms. Uh, and they've got some disposable income and they throw a couple of hundred dollars in if that's what they have available to them or 10 bucks, yeah. 50 bucks. And like, they're having fun and like, cause this is one of the reasons this has happened is the pandemic has, uh, a, a pandemic hobby is day trading. People yeah. are getting involved in day trading. And if you have a little bit of money and you're, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't have a problem with people, uh, going to casinos and playing roulette, but I do have a problem with like when it gets too much. Right. And then, well, yeah, of course, you know, like, like sports betting is another one, right? Like you, maybe you want to bet on your favorite team in the weekend and then like you're having fun with it, but then people get like really deep into it. Like these things can always get nasty. And that, that's the kind of stuff that concerns me. And, and I think that yeah. this GameStop situation specifically has gone, uh, got, got, gone much further than these things typically go. And and I think I'm worried about some of the, the, the fallout for, for individuals who got into it, you know? Yeah. I mean, there are upsides to this, right? I mean, there's certainly a lot of people who made a lot of money, right? I mean, it's not like it's all all bad. And also some of the other like meme stocks, like I believe like AMC, uh, which is a US-based like cinema chain, they actually were able to improve their business, right? So they've had the same thing. Most of these meme stocks that kind of went up have kind of come down at this point. But AMC, I believe, were able to convert a lot of their actual like money debt they owed into stock 
and essentially wipe it out, right? Great time for a movie chain to make some money, right? Exactly. Like, gosh, did they need it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, who cares where the stock really goes at this point? They've essentially been able to wipe out a good chunk of their debt through this, right? So there's certainly been some positives here, but it's going down. And obviously, you know, we're recording it today. Tomorrow, it could jump back up. But right now, it's generally kind of sliding back down. I mean, even today, it's down by like another like 30%. And realistically, we have to remember that if you take all of this out of the equation, fundamentally, this is a stock that's probably in that $15 to $20 range normally, right? Without any kind of extenuating circumstances. But I think that there is, like you said, that little bit of a dark side because, you know, Wall Street Bets is, you know, they're all having fun and that's that's fine. That's great. But there's this very much like, you know, to the moon, diamond hands, YOLO mentality, which you're right, could be a little toxic, right? When everyone's like, hold, 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 it's going to go back up when it's just dropping back down and it may never go back up again. And it's like, I get it. Like, obviously, that's the way this all works. If people didn't have that mentality to begin with and people started selling the second it hit 50 or $100, we wouldn't have had this conversation, right? So obviously, something happened here. But there's also that mentality of just like, you know, hold, 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 that someone could be looking at, you know, like you said, their life savings or, or a huge chunk of money that they don't necessarily have to to lose. And like, oh, well, it's going to go back up, right? It's going to go back up, right? As it drops and drops and drops, right? That's... I agree. That makes me feel a little sad. Eh. Sad. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of stuff, but there are other versions of this story, right? Yeah. So a bunch of stocks did jump up. Like I said, AMC, there are a couple of others. Like it was uh, like cost, like the headphone company, which I didn't even know they were a publicly traded company. Um, Nokia, Blackberry. There are a lot of these like very uh, like well-recognized brands that everyone knows Blackberry or Nokia, but no one really has thought about them in a while, right? But, you know, everyone got excited about it. And because a lot of these stocks were smaller, it means that it doesn't take as many people as much money to pump up the price, right? And, of course, there's stuff like crypto. So we already talked about Dogecoin. But uh, the crypto market has seen some big swings. And, I mean, I think as of this morning, Bitcoin's up a lot and everything. And then there are even things like the traditional, like, quote-unquote, futures of, like, silver, People piled into silver the other day and silver prices jumped up, which is very strange because, well, I guess, actually, no, this is all strange. So it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Yeah, every part of it's strange. Because yeah. this is the thing, it kind of doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter what it was or what it is. It doesn't matter that it's silver. Silver, it doesn't mean anything. It's just like, this is just what people have decided. And that yeah. is the weird part of it now that this subreddit is like ordaining value, but it's shining a mirror back on this entire system because yeah. it is devoid from reality. Which, it's hard to see where this is going to go, right? We're clearly not financial analysts and I don't even think the financial no. analysts know I mean, look how long it took us to try and explain shorts and we probably still got it wrong. <laughs> but, like, there are a couple ways to look at it. One way, you can, like, you know, you're sticking it to the man, you're, you're bankrupting the, the hedge funds that are trying to, you know, evil and they're removing things. Which, that is certainly a, a narrative. I tend to think that some short selling is actually a good thing. Maybe not excessive, crazy billionaires making money, destroying companies. But there is a certain incentive for short sellers to do research, to find out that companies may not be as strong as they, they think they are. It's nice to have a little bit of that sort of push and pull in the market, which I know it's like it makes, you know, it's like everyone wants stocks to go up forever and, you know, no one wants to kill joy. But, like, 
there can't just be an infinite sort of upward tick in the stock market. That's how bubbles happen, right? So some level of sort of short selling I do think is valuable, but it's also a thing where I think a lot of people forget a lot of people made money, including hedge funds, right? I was reading an article just yesterday. Uh, a hedge fund made like what, like hundreds of millions of dollars on GameStop uh, as, it, as it sort of jumped because they had purchased it last year and they got out near the peak, right? So it's, it's not quite such a clean cut narrative as like the little guy versus the man here. And I do worry, like you said, I mean, look, if a bunch of Redditors cause a global financial collapse, I'm, 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 I'm gonna be so over it right now. I'm not gonna lie. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be so over it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah man and then there are all these other ancillary stories stuff like robin hood which everyone got incredibly mad about which yeah. it sounds like they just didn't have enough cash to fund so they had to like limit transactions and like stuff like gamestop because they that was a, it was a pr blunder like th- there was a reason yeah. and you can decide if that reason is true or makes sense to you which is the idea of like they have to guarantee it at a certain point and yep. the sales and if they can't do that they can't do that and that they they have to limit a stock or their funding gets caught off and you can decide whether that's like whether you believe it whether you think it's a conspiracy and like fun, like i'm not saying one way or the other right like mm-hmm. i could understand this idea that their big money owners told them not right like I, I get it right like i understand why people would feel that way because they didn't communicate very well what their reason was um and, you know, so, like, whether you believe it's true or not, it took them a while to actually come out and say that that was the reason, and I can't fathom why yeah. they did that. Like, at first, it's like, to protect our youth, it's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not it. And, like, Robin Hood's <laughs> problem is, like, their entire brand is around democratizing trading, mm-hmm. and it felt like they weren't doing that. And yeah. so, you know, this is always, this is always an issue. If you give yourself a tagline... It, you set a clock on it being used against you. Yeah. Any company, right? Yep. You give yep. yourself a tagline of any kind, which is what you say is your selling point. It, it, you have now set a ticking clock on, on people being able to use that line against you again. And it, <laughs> this is just Robin Hood's time in the sun. I mean, their, their whole brand, Robin Hood, is around giving, <laughs> like stealing from the rich to give to the poor. Potentially too. I mean, now we can see that brand was too aggressive. That was a little bit on the nose. Yeah, and so now Uh. it's come back and it's it's bitten them a bit. I mean, look, they'll be fine in my opinion because so many people know who they are now, and so many people now have Robin Hood accounts that didn't before. They're going to have a bit of a a choppy time, but the brand Robin Hood is now a household name. So provided they can just because you know a lot of people moved their uh, portfolio away. Okay. If they can get through this, which they probably will, they'll be fine because yeah. now people know that they're the place to go if you want to get stocks on your iPhone. But there's there's so much that's, that's come from this. Like the story, really, this could just be the very beginning of it because yeah. there's now talk of legislative change, right? And all that, like, because again, it's like we're all being forced to look at something that's usually done quietly. Mm hmm. Which is this whole, you know, it's like, oh, you've got to be in the club to understand how this works. But now it's been democratized. Yeah. Like in the sense, like people know how it works. People are doing it. People are doing the show and stuff. You don't have to have been ordained into the club anymore to be able to have access to this stuff. And so it could be a time where that's going to stop. I don't know. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting, right? There's a real scenario here in which places like Wall Street Bets, where investors get together and they all decide, oh, look, let's all go in on this or that. 
and they can make real differences in the market, right? I mean, that is a very understandable thing, but I don't think it's going to be like what we saw, right? Because guess what? When you have a public forum like that, every hedge fund of the world is going to be keeping an eye on that. I guarantee you every day. And as soon as people start talking about one thing, they're going to be right there to buy the stock with everyone else. And yeah, I mean, the whole idea of pumping up and then dumping stocks is, um, again, not really a new concept. It's just being done in a new way. So, I mean, we'll see, right? Maybe this is the beginning of tons of more people getting into the stock market, being more informed, being able to you know, buy and sell and actually, like you said, be part of the, the big boys club without having to necessarily be invited in or whatever. Or maybe this is a footnote in history. A bunch of people made a lot of money and ultimately a lot of people lost a bunch of money. And we think back on this as like, oh, remember that little app called Robinhood that mm -hmm. people bought GameStop for? Ha ha ha. I kind of feel like this is not the last we've heard of this saga, though. Super different episode today, clearly. Uh, <laughs> we didn't really test anything. <laughs> Did you test? I didn't buy anything. I wasn't even tempted. Were you tempted? No, no, I mean, I don't, I don't buy any kind of stock or anything that like yeah. I ever talk about or whatever. Last thing I want to do is get Martha Stewarted. Can get you in trouble. Yeah, no, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going, if I ever go to jail, it's not going to be for a dumb reason like that. <laughs> Reddit like, play in my court hearing five years from now. Like, look, he said it in the podcast. He knew it was going to happen. <laughs> but well, if you do, if you did enjoy the conversation we've had today, let us know. Like, this is obviously a different type of thing for the show. So if you liked it, let us know. Yeah, and if you didn't like it, uh, sorry, we don't know how time. to describe. <laughs> Remember, there's a secret phone, all right? Just look forward to that. Z flip, Z flip. <laughs>